Our Father, our King, we do thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you that you teach us from your word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself. We know that without your revelation, we could never know you. We know that you have done this because you are a God of compassion and of loving kindness. You keep your promises. You want us to know you. And Father, we know that you have chosen to reveal yourself. And we know that you have chosen in general ways, but in very specific ways. And we know also in your word, that the specificity in your word, to know who you are, to reveal who you are, is to establish a relationship. And Father, we come before you this morning uh, earnestly desiring, earnestly enjoying that relationship with you. And we pray these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. This is uh, August 18th, uh, 2007. We are looking at Lesson 2. This is our third lesson that we've been doing in the book of Matthew. Lesson 2, which means that if you were doing homework, you did homework for Lesson 2. Next week you will do homework for Lesson 3. The week after that we will have a... two weeks to do homework for Lesson 4. I will not be here Shabbat two weeks from now. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse... And a branch shall grow out of his, its, his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. Nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide the equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth. With the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who stands as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. Amen. That's Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Um, we've been looking, we started off an introduction looking at this book. And, and one of the big dangers of the Gospels and reading the Gospels, uh, and I have to be careful how I say that, in a classical, traditional way, and we all do this, and that's not wrong, but we, one of the dangers is that we get the idea that we're reading a history book. Uh, what we find is that there are actually uh, two, two variations of history in the apostolic scriptures. The first, and this is the way it's treated, is the book of the Acts. The book of the Acts tells us how this new religion got started. I'm speaking about the classical interpretation. But then we have these four Gospels, and we scratch our head because it almost bears no correlation to the book of Acts. So we would treat that as a prologue. A prologue to the new religion. So you will often find theologians uh, in seminaries teaching that the book of Acts is a transitional book. How this new new religion got started, uh, they didn't have it all quite figured out. It took the church to figure that out. Uh, Sometime in the second and third century, they figured it all out, made their theology nice and secure, and from that we have this Christianity. and then the Gospels they struggle with. They really do. Because the Gospels, uh, the Jesus of the Gospels, the Yeshua of the Gospels, is quite different from the way they present Paul in the epistles and in the book of Acts. Uh, he, teaches, he teaches in a manner and he teaches things that seem to be retro to another religion. 
we, what we know, especially because we are part of this congregation and we have good teaching and good leading, what we know is that there is no new religion. Uh, it's fine for people to believe that there is. Please, be very careful when you speak to your friends and believe that. That's fine. As long as they have this faith in Messiah, we know that we have a brotherhood, sisterhood. But we do need to also understand that for ourselves, it's more than simply joining. It's about discipleship, right? And that's the difficulty with the the books, the Gospels, uh, and Acts as well, but the Gospels, is it's about discipleship. We think there's 12 disciples. No. There's myriads of disciples. Acts 21 tells us Paul uh, receives the word from uh, James from Yaakov uh, one of the leaders of the congregation in Jerusalem he said see there are many many myriads of those who believe and they're disciples so when we look at this book this is what we're being careful to do Uh, we don't have the answers but we're trying to uncover some of what has been covered up about who Messiah is and how it is that we can be good disciples. Um, What we learned last week was that the book of Matthew, the entire book of Matthew, is contingent upon us understanding the genealogy. The genealogy in the first verses of Matthew is not meant to be a detailed genealogy for the purpose of establishing uh, a, a, uh, uh, a family tree. Because we, as we discuss, there may or may not be people missing. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is to outline, to outline that that Yeshua is a descendant, a rightful descendant of David. And then to go back, as we looked at in in First uh, uh, Samuel seven, to go back and understand that he is the fulfillment of the promise that God would build a house for David. House, as we use, uh, it's the same thing in Hebrew. House, we would say, is a house and also a family. A dynasty. And that's exactly the way that it's used. It says, you want to build a house for me? No one can house the Almighty. No, I will build a house for you. Uh, people want to spiritualize it. It's like, okay, that's like a temple. And Yeshua is a temple. That may be true, but that's not what he means. He means that he's going to build a dynasty. And the last one in this dynasty, in this list, is who? Messiah. Yeshua, son of David. And that's what, that's what he wants us to know. Is he wants us to know, this is a king that I'm introducing to you. And so when we get to chapter 2, we've got to scratch our heads and go, this is a king? The promise, it also goes back to the promise. And the promise started in Genesis chapter 3. First it was to Eve, then in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham, and specifically in Genesis chapter 15, where God says specifically that he is going to establish, that he's going to a promise Abraham, descendants. And Paul, uh, through Midrash, through uh, a deeper understanding, understands that to be not only descendants, but descendant. A seed, singular. That he is going to establish a seed. That he's going to establish a people in a land and he would reign over the world through that and all the nations of the earth would be blessed Genesis 12 chapter 3 then he also then we saw uh, we, we saw that chapter 1 points us back to First uh, Samuel chapter 7 that he's made the promise to David specifically to David that it would be from his line uh, and that he would name him that he was to be named Yeshua one who would save his people from their sins and that they would, he would be called Immanuel, which is to say God among us or God with us. That he was King Messiah, 
that he was, and then we got introduced to this branch idea, that he's the branch. And that's what we're going to continue looking at this week in chapter 2, is the arrival of the king. Go to chapter, Matthew chapter 2, not at Yahoo, chapter 2, verse 1. Somebody asked me this morning, I, I used the word karen, uh, last week to talk about the glory or the uh, the illumination, the glow that was on Moses' face, uh, and that Yeshua represents Karen, that he is the glow, he is the illumination. But what we understand also is, uh, uh, and, and I told you that word also is used in the Psalms for horns, horns. It's like rays. That was the question: is how's that like horns? It's like rays of light, uh, and that's that's why Moses in some pictures had horns, as rays of light. As opposed to halos. Halos are a pagan thing. Rays of light. <laughs> That's a biblical description. <laughs> okay, go to uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Yeshua was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And go down to verse 6. And this is a quote. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And that's a quote from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Um, so Bethlehem is the birthplace of who first that's most famous David so for Yeshua to be born in Bethlehem is a big deal it's a really big deal that's why our, our detractors those who would want to deny Yeshua would say no 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 he's born in Nazareth yeah. he's, just, he's just a regular guy he's a Galilean so what is their source? what is their source? Uh, it's made up yeah. Rumor, innuendo. I won't go into the rumor and innuendo. It's not important. Go to Genesis chapter 49. It says, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd. I love that. When that was written, that was after the fact. Micah was written after King David, right? Uh, go to Genesis 49. Powerful stuff in the book of Genesis. 49, verse 10, which says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Then it goes on to say, Zebulun shall dwell by the sea. Uh, what is this, chapter 49? What is chapter 49 of Genesis? Jacob blessing his sons. Where? In the land of captivity. Well, it's not the land of captivity when he blesses them, but it's soon to be. For a pharaoh rose up after Joseph that did not know Joseph. So Joseph takes all of, uh, basically all Israel, 70 plus, and uh, they find themselves in Egypt. And uh, on Jacob's deathbed, he blesses his sons, Judah 
You who are whom with your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's wealth. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet. A lawgiver. One who, is, one who gives decrees. One who gives uh, unsearchable decrees. Um, so we have this scepter. It's a scepter, by the way, we think of as being a, like a king, you know, fancy king, a nice gold, nice gold crown. You know, you know, extends the scepter like uh, uh, Ashveris extends the scepter towards uh, Hadassah to, to Esther, and she comes uh, that scepter. That's what we imagine as a scepter. But the first and foremost use of this word is for shepherd's staff. It's someone who rules, makes rules, knocks you if you don't obey the rules. Right? It's true. He gives commands that require obedience without understanding. Shiloh. This is a messianic title. All Judaism recognizes Shiloh. Shiloh is a messianic title. No one can tell you what it means. <laughs> I, have, I have a side note on Shiloh. It says... Uh, that's right and that's actually one variation you have to change some of the vowels or vowel pointing to do that yes and that's the reason why no one knows what it means is because there's no vowels in the text vowels are added Nazarites added the vowels God bless them because it helps us immensely that they added vowels but they are added so they're commentary and so which is why the rabbis have just wonderful time without without vowels and changing the words without the vowels that's fine there's nothing wrong with that provided the text remains secure and this does they go in the end they go yeah but we don't know what it means but to whom whom it belongs is a great one there's other variations there's lots of different explanations all are very nice and wonderful but the bottom line is we really don't know what it means we just know it's a messianic title Shiloh there's some variation of shalom in there. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways of looking at it. It's respelling of the word. Go to Numbers chapter 24. So here's this prophecy, Jacob upon his sons, speaking specifically not of Judah only, but of Judah's descendants, right? And all of the 12 sons. And now we see another prophecy in the book of uh, uh, Numbers. Numbers chapter 24. Anybody know where this is? My, my Bible has a title at the top of 23, verse 27. Balaam's third prophecy. Who's Balaam? Yeah, he's, he's a way bad guy. Yeah, he's a really bad guy. Uh, Balaam offers a prophecy. Starts out as a curse. But when it leaves his lips, it becomes a blessing. Understand God is, uh, God is sovereignly orchestrating the events of the world and the mouths of people who speak even against his people to arrange always as the, uh, as the, as the basis for his as the fulfillment of his promise and to bring about his promise he's always arranging it and so here we have this prophecy not only a prophecy a profound prophecy a messianic prophecy uh, that's just immense so immense that all Judaism actually welcomes Shabbat with Matovu, the prayer. How blessed are your tents, O Jacob. This very, from this very uh, prophecy. Genesis, uh, uh, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. 
and destroy all the sons of tumult. Who is this? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A scar shall come out of Jacob. Don't you know that the first disciples of our master, when they were, when they were po- contemplating this birth experience, and as Matthew is writing his second chapter here, not divided by chapters, he's continuing his account. As he's writing this, he's thinking, remember that? Star. A star. A star. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Is this prophecy a star and a scepter? A star and a scepter. In, in Jacob's prophecy, a scepter shall come out of Judah. It's important. He's a descendant of Judah. He comes out of the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem, which is in Judah. Uh, and a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. So again, we see the same idea. The star and the scepter. First uh, Samuel 16. First Samuel 16, verse 4 says, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? Oh no. <laughs> Samuel. The one who cuts people in half. <laughs> He's come here. Oh no. <laughs> What's going on? Do you come peaceably? Uh, he does come peaceably. Why is he coming? Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, Shemin, and anointed him, Mashach, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Samuel goes to this place and anoints Mashach, this Englishized version of the verb Mashach, to anoint with oil, anoints David. In Bethlehem. Go to Micah 5.2. We, we read from this earlier. Now, has Matthew, has Matatyahu Levi quoted all these verses for us? He only quoted from Micah, from, uh, what, from, uh, what was it, Isaiah? No, it's from Micah, Micah 5 2. Did he quote all these other verses for us? That's right. That's right. And that's, that's, why, that's why this is an extremely important process that the impatient cannot, cannot get. <laughs> Cross referencing. Scripture comments on Scripture. The best commentary on Scripture is not your footnotes in your stone kumash. <laughs> it's not your. Uh, footnotes or your centerpiece of your Ryrie study Bible the best commentary on scripture is other scripture and sometimes you can't find the reference what's this talking about sometimes it's just key words this is extremely uh, rabbinic in the way that it melding of key words together and it's something we see a lot in the apostolic scriptures the, the bringing of key words together and Matthew is doing that uh, uh, really well here in the second chapter bringing these key words together we're supposed to draw from our own knowledge of scripture sadly we don't have this knowledge but we're supposed to draw from our own knowledge of scripture these words and, and pull them in you've heard me mention this Sidur and that's one of the things great things about Sidur's is they use key words they draw from key words and pull scriptures together and create 
create whole prayers that don't exist in Scripture by putting Scripture verses all together, forming them all together. And it's a, it's a great practice. It gets you thinking key words. It gets you thinking about key words, and then you can pull them out. So when you hear them, you go, oh, yes, that's speaking of this. Oh, yes, that's here. And that's what we're doing today. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, You, Bethlehem, of uh, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. And this is quoted in Matthew 2, 6. King of Bethlehem, Ephratah means an ash heap. But it also can mean a place of fruitfulness. Why is that? What's the relationship between an ash heap and a place of fruitfulness? Anybody ever planted a garden? That's right. You take all the stuff out of the garbage out and you burn it eventually. But you take all the garbage out and it, over time that garbage heap becomes a place that you can go and dig and put that in your garden. Make your garden grow well. So it's a place of, it's a place of fruitfulness. Uh, go to Micah chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. Micah 4, 8 through 10. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you sh- shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For you shall go, for for now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field and Babylon, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered from the hand. From there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Go back to Matthew chapter two. Sam. The beginning of that chapter says it will come about in the last days. Uh huh. So, are we talking about the last days? Well, last days started a long time ago, I think. Mm. (laughs) Days of a thousand years. Yeah. A couple days ago, yeah. Go back to verse... uh, uh, Verse 7. Then Herod, when when he had secretly called the wise men... Uh, some of you heard me mention sages, Jewish sages. That's what he's talking about, the wise men. The wise men uh, determined from them that, that, that what time, excuse me, this is speaking of the wise men from Babylon, the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, uh, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. What a liar. <laughs> when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till they came and stood over where the young child was. And there they saw the star. They rejoiced and were exceedingly, with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with uh, Mary, Miriam, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened the treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed on their, uh, for their own country another way. They're coming from the east probably uh, the land of Babylon or Persia. Now when they had departed behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying arise take the young child and his mother flee to Egypt and stay there till I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Uh, when I was talking about the, the, the chief priests and the scribes of the people verse 4 he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Where is it supposed to be born? Everybody knew Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where he's supposed to be born. Why? Because he's son of David. Everybody knew this. It's not, it's, not un, it's not unusual, as all Judaism would see today. Son of David. Messiah will be son of David. You've got to be son of David or you can't be Messiah. That's it. Um, 
so what we see here is we see that uh, we see this uh, this king uh, is to be born you know this future king this past king David was born in Bethlehem this future king was to be born in Bethlehem and uh, our, our writer Matthew wants us to know that there's a connection here uh, what we see what, what's the importance of Bethlehem what is Bethlehem where is Bethlehem even further back what's it speaking is this, this woman who's in birth travail a daughter of Zion what's it speaking about when it says watch Watchtower of the flock from uh, Micah chapter uh, chapter uh, four. Watchtower of the flock. What's going on? This place, this place is revered. Even today, it's revered. There's actually at the tomb there. There's actually a place that people go to pray. Not to who's buried there, but they go to pray. Why? Because there's something special about who's buried here. Anybody know who's buried near Bethlehem? Rachel. Why is it that Rachel? Why is it? Is Rachel a Rachel a sad figure in our history? Yes. But why is it that people go to pray there? There's a prophecy about Rachel, right? Rachel weeping for her children. But Rachel weeping over her children is met with an answer, right? Going to pray there would be would be an experience because God hears Rachel's weeping. And he will reward Rachel. Her descendants. Weeping over her children. Her descendants. This place, Micah chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, is Migdal Adar, which means watchtower of the flock. And it is the birthplace of kings. That's where, that's where David was born. Bethlehem. It's just outside of Bethlehem. It's actually between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. It's on the road. Bethlehem is really a suburb. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you can look from the from the uh, from east. Uh, excuse me, from west Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, the uh, new new part of Jerusalem. You can look south, and you can see Bethlehem. It's on a hill. It's just right there. It's not very far at all. Uh, and from there, that was the suburbs, as it were, of Jerusalem. But between the two places, there's fields. And this is where the flocks are kept. Specifically, flocks flocks for a certain purpose. That's right. Because tons, I shouldn't say tons, many, many, thousands, tens of thousands. I mean, unbelievably large amount of lambs, goats, bulls are used in the offering system every every year so they have to come from nearby and this is the watchtower of the flock where the flocks are watched um, go to Genesis uh, 35.16 this is talking about Rachel watchtower of the flocks what an odd combination birthplace of a king burial place of yeah the place for sacrificial lambs to be kept and the burial place of one of the matriarchs who died tragically in childbirth. It's very, very odd. Very odd. Genesis 35. Thirty-five, sixteen says. Then they journeyed from Beth Bethel, and when they and and there was but a little distance to go to Ephratah. Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, "Do not fear; you will have this son also." So it was. Her son was departed, for she died, and she called his name Ben Ami. 
but his father called him Ben Yamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Adar, Adal-Medar, the watchtower of the flock. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilah, his wife's concubine, and Israel heard all about it. What a wonderful story that is. Um, so here we see uh, the son of my sorrow as Rachel named Rachel weeps for her children what does is, what is Jacob rename this boy Benjamin son of my right hand son of my sorrow son of my right hand <laughs> who sits at the right hand of the king the king's son sits at the right hand of the king <laughs> that's right the king's son sits at the right hand of the king this is one who sits at the right hand of the king acts in the king's name He's also a son of my sorrow, is he not? Isn't that great? What great things that Matthew has already brought to our mind just in his short little account of his birth. It doesn't make a very good Christmas card, <laughs> but it's a very good story to remind us of the importance of this place in proving one point. What's the one point that he wants to prove? This person that I'm going to describe, this teacher of the Torah that is going to raise up disciples, is not just that. He's something more. He's Mashiach. He's Messiah. He's the anointed one. Matthew chapter 2.23. Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. After they go to Egypt, they're in Egypt and they come back. And he, and he came and dwelt in the city. Uh, Joseph brings his family, uh, Miriam, Mary, and uh, his adopted son, Yeshua. And they go and they dwell in Nazareth. They do not return to Bethlehem. And they came and they dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. I want to tell you, my Bible, verse 23, says, look at Judges 3... 13.5 Judges 13.5 Judges 13.5 Anybody else have a Bible that gives them a cross reference there? John 1.45 Okay, anything from the anything from the uh, Tanakh? No And actually Judges 13.5 Is a very unfortunate Cross reference Because it said He shall conceive And bear a son And no razor Shall be on his head For the child Shall be called a Nazarite No Wrong word Not even related Nazarite Nazarene Two different things Totally two different things Nothing wrong with a Nazarite But Yeshua at least uh, in the account of his ministry, was not a Nazarite. Not a Nazarite. How do I know that? He came and he drank. He ate and he drank. You know, he, he drank of the fruit of the vine. Thank you. Which means he cannot be a Nazarite. He was not a Nazarite. Absolutely not. Uh, he may be a Nazarite right now. He makes this promise that he would not drink from the fruit of the vine. Uh, after his resurrection, uh, we understand that it very may well be, until he comes in his kingdom, that he is technically a Nazarite, which cannot end until, actually, you go through the ceremony at the end. So this description is, is totally, totally wrong. Not Nazarite, Nazarene. From Nazareth, 
What is that all about? And, it, and the prophets never say it. Why does Matthew tell us? As the prophets say. And this is a basically a very common thing. Don't misunderstand. Don't, don't let it ever throw you. It's a very common thing to bring parts of passages together and say, as the prophets say. It's not a cross-reference. It's understanding just like we've been talking about. Key words brought together. And what is it? what key word is he focusing on? He's focusing on the word branch. Not netzer. A branch. Well, that's what Nazareth is. That's what Nazareth is. Branch town, as we talked about last week. It means the little, the little place where branches are. <laughs> branch town. So, thank you. Are you asking a question or saying I got five minutes? <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. Um, I, I looked at something strong just because I was curious, and it says Nazarene inhabitant, inhabitant of Nazareth. That's it. By extension, a Christian. That's bad. I know. I there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with Christian. Be very careful, though. I'm not saying that that's not. What the disconnect is there was a sect of Judaism. In the second, in the first, second, third century, called Nazarenes, that sect of Judaism was actually banned as heretics by the church. I would never say they're heretics. I like them, but they were banned as heretics by the church. So they're not the same thing. No way, no how. The Church of the Nazarene has no variation on this. They are not related to this word. Yes, ma'am. That's a Greek word, but absolutely, he's drawing this picture. He's drawing the picture of him. He's the he is the he's the he's the root with the branch. Romans chapter eleven. That's olive. In 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 John chapter fifteen, he's speaking of, of the vine, the grapes. In in uh, in Romans chapter eleven, he's speaking of an olive tree. Yes, all these are drawing allusions to the same idea. But go to Ele- uh, Isaiah eleven. That's what we read from, and it's actually on the top of your page here. It says, "And there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out, grow out of his roots." That's what we're talking about. He's the branch. In, Ze- in Zechariah, it speaks also of this one, the branch. And speaking specifically about Zerubbabel and, and the whole idea of rebuilding the temple. But then by extension of future prophecy, this one, the branch. This one, the branch. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. This is an easy stuff, is it? This isn't easy at all. Why does Matthew start with such a hard lesson? Why does he start by going through such... Why do we have to have all this knowledge in order to get anything out of it? Because it's an obvious sign that he doesn't fulfill all those problems. That's exactly right. And he's also speaking to a people... This is common. This comes off the tongue. Oh yeah, this is great. They use the words all the time. We may, you know, our culture may actually have some of these words, but we've misapplied them. Nazarene. <laughs> right? And we misapplied them, so it doesn't make the connection. We don't make the connection back to the Tanakh. Uh, uh, now we're going to go to the Apostolic Scriptures. <laughs> Revelation 5, verse 5. We have to keep going there because it's good stuff. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And behold, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, 
having seven horns and seven eyes. I counted seven up there in Isaiah 11.1. Seven, which are the... Verse 6. Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Zechariah talks about a stone with seven eyes upon it, which are the seven spirits of God. Interesting. Hmm. I'm getting all these pictures. What am I supposed to know? I'm supposed to know. He's King Messiah. What's Messiah? There's three roles, three, three types of people were anointed. As we saw, the king, David, was anointed. Samuel went to Bethlehem, found the little least of... Oh, everybody else, strong young men. Oh, we have this, our little brother. You talking about our little brother? Oh, David, come here. Yes, this is the one. He anoints him. He makes him king. <laughs> he anoints him as king. It's a future thing. He's not king yet. But he anoints him as king. Another th- person that was anointed, another group of people that were anointed with oil in the scriptures are priests. Okay? Priests. Is he a priest? Uh, this myrrh, frankincense, and gold, these allude actually to priestly things. Why frankincense or, and myrrh? Actually, why myrrh? Uh, yeah, I know. You know, and this is one of the things that a little bothers me a little bit. That's a great point. That's a, I'm glad you brought it up. It's a great point. What we have often been told and heard is that these gold, frankincense, and myrrh were alluding to his death in some way. I do not believe that at all. No way. Frankincense and myrrh are related to the spices that are put on the priest that were not permitted to be used. See, people that know the Torah know this. You can't use this for regular perfume. Only the priests could have this combination of spices and oil to anoint themselves with. See, see the, uh, uh, as the anointing of oil, shalom upon us, as the oil that drips down Aaron's beard and onto his hem, as we hear and sing. What we get from that is this idea of this anointing oil, this, this anointing oil which has spices within it, myrrh. And frankincense is speaking specifically of salt. That alludes to the sacrifices, the incense for the temple, for the tabernacle. Uh, Psalm 45, go to it real quickly, Psalm 45, verse 6. See, when we know these words, we would go to where they are first mentioned and where they are discussed. But we think these are new words. That is about something yet future, that he's going to die and be embalmed. And by the way, I just want you to know he was not. No, he wasn't. How do I know? That's right. Well, no, no, he wasn't embalmed even in a Jewish way. It wasn't done to him because it wasn't time. So these spices were not applied to his body. Oh, they came to bring him. Yeah, they came to bring him afterwards. They were unsuccessful. <laughs> Praise God. They were unsuccessful. That, uh, Psalm 45, verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. This is, this is, this is from the prayers as well. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. Who is this speaking of? It's not speaking of David. He can't wear this stuff. A king can't wear this stuff. This is priestly stuff. Messiah priest is he from the tribe of Judah or Levi 
Oh, yes, he can't be from the tribe of Levi. He isn't from the tribe of Levi, so he can't be a priest. And Hebrews says, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest. He's not a priest here. He's not. He is a priest, but not here. Here, he's king. But he's both priest and king. He's anointed. He's Mashiach. He's the anointed one. Prophets also were anointed. Not with, thank you very much, not with the anointing oil of the priest, because not all prophets were priests. Very few actually are priests. Aaron was a prophet. Moses was a prophet. They're from the priestly line. However, most are not. Most are not. So they're anointed in a different way. They're anointed with olive oil, though, yes. Uh, What we see in in Matthew chapter 12, verse 13, this idea of the killing of the infants, the birth pangs of Messiah. We get the picture of of Rachel weeping and a quote regarding Rachel weeping. Joseph and his his family uh, fleeing to Egypt. And then what what do we see is this Messiah coming out of Egypt. Now we have all these prophecies about, out of Egypt I have called my son. Well, you know, our first, the first disciples, the first apostles, they were, they were like enthralled with this idea. Unfortunately, modern, modern, many modern believers don't get it. Because they have, they have drawn a comparison and a contrast. There's Moses. Bad. There's, and then there's, there's Jesus. Good. Nice. Moses. Can't live under Moses. Moses. Hard. Stone. Then there's Jesus. Nice, friendly, forgives you. Understand that that contrast is contrary to Scripture. Because, in fact, the first disciples do what? One will come like Moses. Oh, guess what? If Moses was hard, Yeshua is harder. If Moses gave a burden to you that you could not live under, Yeshua's burden is far greater. No, Yeshua says, my burden is light. You see, what we understand is that, that uh, if he comes like Moses, then he can't undo Moses. If he comes like Moses, he doesn't replace Moses. He adds to Moses. Adds to Moses, which is exactly not words, but adds to Moses. He expands Moses. Go to uh, Acts chapter thir- 3 real quick, and then we've got to stop. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. But those things... And this is, uh, this is uh, uh, Shimon Kepha, Peter, preaching. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Messiah would suffer has thus, been, uh, has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send, send Yeshua, Messiah, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Not a new religion. Same religion. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God, and he quotes now from uh, Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things. Whatever he says, whatever he says to you. And we see this repeated now. Stephen does the same thing. Later on in Acts, and bringing this illusion, Moses is not Yeshua. It's not a replacement for Moses. He is the heir of that very office. He's prophet, like unto Moses. A prophet like unto Moses could never diminish or make less of who Moses was. More importantly, what God spoke through Moses. Deuteronomy 18. 
is he quotes from Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 13 says, A prophet who teaches against what Moses received from the mouth of God is not to be listened to. Instead, he's to be put to death. If the, if the common understanding of what Yeshua came and did, number one, that he died for our sins, that's good. But number two, that he replaced the old religion of Judaism with a new religion that he undid, that he completely banished and, and forever annulled the very words that God gave to Moses to speak. If he did that, which he is accused of by the vast majority of people who call themselves believers, then he deserved to be stoned. No, he did not deserve to be stoned. He did not come to teach. He did not come to cause people to sin. He, called, he came to pay the penalty for their sin. Not to redefine what sin is. That'd be easy. Why didn't God just say, okay, you know, mulligan. <laughs> Never mind. All that stuff I said, you know, it was too hard. Sorry. Sorry. But I did it to show you how hard it is. Now, you can be forgiven for it and you don't even have to worry about it anymore. That's absurd. On the very face of it, that's absurd. God's word is true. From the first letter, a bait, until the last letter in Revelation chapter 22. It is all true. The spaces still are in force. The spaces between the letters still stand. God's word stands. And that's exactly what this writer, what Matthew wants us to know. God's word stands. He keeps his promises exactly like he says. And if he promises he's going to send a seed and a redeemer, he will do it. And he did it. And he did it in exactly the same way. As complex as it may seem to our minds and pulling out these cross references and looking at all this, it's extremely complex, but it's very simple. He keeps his word. Period. Exactly like he says he's going to. And if you don't understand it, then just wait and believe that he keeps his word. This is our, this is our failure. Is when we come across words we don't understand, we try and explain it in the, in the ways that we think that we can imagine. And by doing that, we err greatly. What we ought to just simply say is, I believe it. I'll live it. I don't understand it and that's okay because God keeps his word he keeps his promises and this the way that he started by saying he's he's the son of David he has a genealogy of David he's king messiah that and then adding to it these pictures of how these how all of these families all this relationship going all the way back into Genesis is found in this one person and now he's going to introduce us in chapter 3 and 4 to this teacher that we're supposed to pattern ourselves after. That we're supposed to live as if we were his disciples. That we're supposed to know his words and mimic him. He's done all that to, know, to tell us that he's more than just a teacher. And that he, can't, that he is worthy of being followed. I'm convinced, reading first two chapters of Matthew, I'm convinced he's worthy of being followed. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you are good and that you do keep your promises. What a, what a blessing it is to know that as the world changes, as we change, as we are not so careful to do all that we say, every word that comes from your mouth is eternal. We bless your name. We can count on you when we can count on no one else. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.